with every cell of my being, I can guarantee you that when you honor your true authentic needs and your true authentic self and you let your true freak flag fly and we all are freaks in our own ways and we don't you know we're all trying to fit some stupid norm that nobody fits into or if they do like i always tell my kids why be normal normal's boring you know when people they say so-and-so said i'm weird and i'm like well why be normal normal's boring right but when we are our true authentic selves and honor that in ourselves that is only honestly, when the magic happens. That's when the universe, God, spirit, Allah, Jesus, whatever you want to call it, you know, that's when the universe steps in and is like, okay, here's the red carpet. Let's go. Here are the friends. Here are the opportunities. Here are the circumstances. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Anita, and this is your destination, your oasis to be all things just a little bit more brave in your actions, in your outlook on life, and in your relationships. And today, we have one of these episodes that I've been so, so excited to bring on my dear friend and somebody that I've just gotten connected with earlier this year. And I have just... I've loved her insight. I've loved her wisdom. And honestly, she's been through a ton to come out on the other side. And you probably know who I'm talking about. This is none other than Dr. Laura Berman. And we are talking about how to find love and healing through forgiveness and grief. Now, the wisdom shared by Dr. Laura Berman on today's guest would have completely changed my life when I experienced loss and grief as a young girl. Laura is a world-renowned therapist and author. She was featured on The Oprah Winfrey Show, and she opens up how her closest connections have inspired her career path. She shares how her relationship with her parents, her estranged sister and son, who recently died from an accidental fentanyl overdose, each has had a profound and transformative impact on her work and her perspective. Now, in this episode, we get into being raised by parents in a narcissistic codependent relationship, being interested in understanding sex, love, and relationships due to a parent's addiction. And this is one of the things that has propelled Dr. Laura to be not only one of the foremost celebrity sex therapists that has been featured all over, but also losing a child due to fentanyl poisoning, communicating with loved ones beyond the physical, and shifting focus to help others connect with themselves, heal, and manifest. Now, a little bit about Dr. Laura. She is world-renowned and well-loved sex, love, and relationship therapist. She's earned two master's degrees and a PhD from New York University and has spent 30 years devoting her career in helping others learn to love and be loved from a mind, body, and spiritual perspective. She has been sharing her wisdom in public forums for decades. And she is a New York Times bestselling author of nine books, an award-winning syndicated radio show host. And she currently hosts the popular love and sex podcast, The Language of Love, which I've had a chance to be on her podcast as well. You are going to love her. And without further ado, let's welcome the Dr. Laura Berman to The Brave Table. All right, Dr. Laura, I am beyond, beyond excited to have you here. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to be with you. Oh, I know. You get to do this again. You know, <laughs> last time we were on your podcast and now we're here. That's right. Wow. So I kind of want to start because you have been known as the queen of sex. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, the queen of just... You've had several, multiple, multiple best-selling books. You've mm-hmm. had a show on Showtime. 
you've had and you kind of spent a lot of time in my hometown of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of want to, before we dive into the expertise of where you have landed, who was Laura before all of this? You mean when I was little? I mean, like uh, you, you, can, you, you can take us to wherever, <laughs> wherever you want to take us. <laughs> no, I think I'm still like all of us. I'm still evolving, but I'm definitely someone that you know, we were talking before we even started the show about how we both have this background in Chicago. And you asked if I was born and raised there. My response was, well, sort of, because I moved there in my adult life in my 30s, but that was really the longest I'd ever lived anywhere, almost 20 years. So we moved around a lot as a kid and I had a very loving family, but a very dysfunctional one. And really, I kind of joke about it, but I'm serious when I say that I was conceived with the intention of being my mother's emotional caretaker. You know, I was conceived when they found out that my dad was going to Vietnam. Oh, wow. And she wanted to have a baby. My older sister was kind of independent and didn't ever want to be home. And my mom was a real homebody. And so they decided, you know, she would have this baby basically to take care of her. in a way, emotionally. Right, Um, And that was my role my whole life. So I had, you know, a severely narcissistic, wonderful, brilliant, renaissance man of a father, but a very toxic narcissist Mm. and a very beautiful, sold, inside and out, loving, creative mama who was severely codependent. And I was their relationship counselor from as early as I could talk. You know, I was joking the other day because it suddenly dawned on me. They used to tease me. You know, it was kind of a family joke that when I was really, really little, people would say to me, what do you want to be when you grew up? And I would say, I want to be a nurse or a comedian. And they thought that was so funny and so bizarre. But looking back, it makes total sense because those were the two ways I could get my own needs met as a kid. Right. I, I had to take care of them to get my needs met. And the way that I would get my mother out of her depressive, immobilized funk was either by nurturing her, caring for her, nursing her, or making her laugh. And that was the way I could diffuse things with my dad as well. So I developed those skills really, really early in life. And really, really good. It seemed yeah. like your inner child definitely knew that there was the performative and the nurturing, caretaking side. Yeah. And were you the oldest or the the only child? I was raised to be the oldest, but I was the youngest. And, you know, unfortunately, my sister, I have one sister and we're estranged. You know, I could get into that. I'm brave enough on your brave table to get into that. But out of respect for her, I feel like I, I shouldn't go too deep there, except to say that it was my choice and it was for my own emotional survival. Both our parents, unfortunately, are gone now. But yeah, I was the one that sort of was given that role of the Mm -hmm. responsible older sister. And I was a therapist from a very early age. And I was also an outcast kind of from a very early age because I was always straight, you know, I embraced my weird, but I was always a weird kid. And then my family moved to Southeast Georgia, this little island off the Southeast coast of Georgia where the Aubrey Marcus thing happened. So that just gives you a little clue of what it was like down there. Right. And we moved there as like the only, you know, Jewish New Yorkers. We'd been living in New York before then. And so I was really teased and bullied and 
left out and always felt really different because I was Jewish and, you mm-hmm. know, kids weren't allowed to sleep over or date me or other things. So I've always been really comfortable being different, which I think is why it was so comfortable for me to dive into some unusual fields of study in my adult life because I wasn't right. worried about being weird. I embrace weird. There's so many themes and lenses that we can go into, but, you know, just piggybacking on kind of what people are probably hearing in terms of when we willingly choose to step away from a close-knit like family member relationship mm-hmm. where many times maybe we grew up in enmeshed cultures mm-hmm. and obligations and the cultures, I mean, Indian, Asian, Jewish, it's kind of yeah. similar. It's like... Very insular, very enmeshed, it, very closed families. Yes. 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 And so we don't want to disappoint because we roll, mm-hmm. in, roll, roll in the pack. So for anyone listening to this is in thinking that maybe they have to make that decision or they're so afraid. I know I've yeah. had to at certain points in my it's life. It's petrifying. Yeah. It's hard. How do you or how did you or how do you or what advice do you give to somebody in that way? Well, it's a really tough call because that's not how we were raised. I mean, literally, my parents would say, we are family. You can say whatever you want to your family. And I would say, yes, but you don't have to say it that way. <laughs> you, know, you can say whatever you want, but you can't necessarily speak however you want. Just because someone is your blood, that doesn't mean they don't deserve your respect and your consideration. And that was always a battle with my whole family. But you know, I always say that when you're in a what is essentially a toxic relationship, and let's face it, with our family relationships, there's this, well, that's... That's your mother. Well, that's your father. Well, that's your sister. That's your brother. You know, you accept them and you do accept them. Like I completely accept and I love my sister and I only want good for her and I don't have any animosity toward her. And that is because I have been able to protect myself. And I try different ways, right? Like you try at first just setting boundaries and getting really clear boundaries. And then you try, you know, maybe creating some distance. And so to me, it's a last resort to really kind of estrange yourself. I've never Mm -hmm. done that in any relationship ever. And it was really painful and really hard. And it's really easy to doubt yourself. But for me, it kind of got to a point where it was so toxic no matter what I tried. You know, it's sort of the story. Do you remember that story of the scorpion and the frog? Mm -hmm. Uh, Where the scorpion asks for a ride on the frog and the frog says, you're going to sting me. And they're like, no, it's a flood. I will die if I sting you. And they go in across and of course the scorpion, because this, you know, stings the frog and the frog is, they're both drowning. And he's like, why did you do that? And the scorpion says, I'm a scorpion. Like that's what scorpions do. And so when you come to that realization, it really is, in my experience, one of the scariest and bravest things you have to do. It's not easy. And I've had other really close relationships that have just evolved to be the same thing because as we change and evolve, sometimes people can't do that with us. And, you know, one of the greatest gifts that have come out of it, having grown up in an extremely closed family system. I mean, my parents had very few real friends, let very few people into our home. I was never allowed to have a sleepover for more than one night. You know, it was just everything was very closed. They let very few people into our lives. And so it's only been in my real adult life that I have found my true family, which Mm -hmm. are not my blood family, but my true sisters. And that's what I've learned is when you can extricate from those toxic relationships, whether they're friendships, partnerships, or family relationships, it's not only 
protecting yourself and honoring that part of you that was never protected, finally, right? Which, as you know, and I know, is extremely huge for our healing. But it also creates space Mm. to bring new people in who are really going to match you in their commitment to you and in their integrity with you and in their care for you. And that can't happen when you're holding on to these old toxic relationships. It's so easy to, because we were just talking about, that's expected. There's like Mm -hmm. no other way. And I think that, you know, I get this a lot, even in, in our audience and some of you listeners have even shared and asked questions. Well, what do I do? I don't want to disappoint my family. I don't want to be the black sheep. I don't want to be mm-hmm. the, you know, the rainbow sheep. And I'm all about like, well, let's embrace it because yeah. if and when you are walking that unconventional path or unlearning or deprogramming or starting that healing journey, you're going to piss people off. And I remember vividly when I wanted to leave dentistry and I was so afraid to tell my Mm -hmm. aunt, my bua, who basically was my caretaker after my parents passed. And uh, she was one of our caretakers. And you know, I respected her so much, but I was also very afraid of her. And she was that one person where it could have gone either way. Now, Mm -hmm. this also happened, you know, a few years after I would say no to this really toxic and abusive relationship. Right. And during that time, I had to separate myself from her. And so there was a point of time where I did not speak to her for nine months. Was it painful? Yes. Mm-hmm. Was I like, oh my gosh, things had to get so bad. And I'm like, probably like you, Laura, where it's like, I didn't know if I would ever speak to her again, but I had to be okay with it. And yeah. during that time, just like how you said, you know, more of these angels in the forms of friendships or mentors, advisors, people, soul family would come in. And I'm like, wow, I've never had these relationships in my life before. And now my aunt and I, you know, we have the best relationship. She's grandma to my kids. Not that that will happen for everyone, but you know, that was just the situation with us. So I wanted to, you know, really dive in for, you know, you and kind of what the empire that you've literally created being the foremost person to talk around (laughs) sex. So you had this intense upbringing and you've embraced your quirkiness, which I feel Mm -hmm. like most people come to the brave table and they're like, all right, how do I embrace all of the parts of me that I've absolutely suppressed? Yeah. So can you talk to us a little bit about how that journey was like? for you to really own it and you know what the journey I mean it's just yeah. it's so admiring to well, see Well I mean it's sort of like what you were talking about with the relationships this is true for all aspects of our lives with every cell of my being I can guarantee you that when you honor your true authentic needs and your true authentic self and you let your true freak flag fly and we all are freaks in our own ways and we don't you know we're all trying to fit some stupid norm that nobody fits into or if they do, like I always tell my kids, why be normal? Normal's boring. You know, when people, they say, so-and-so said I'm weird. And I'm like, well, why be normal? Normal's boring, right? But when we are our true authentic selves and honor that in ourselves, that is only, honestly, when the magic happens. That's when the universe, God, spirit, Allah, Jesus, whatever you want to call it, you know, that's when the universe steps in and is like, okay, here's the red carpet. 
let's go. Here are the friends. Here are the opportunities. Here are the circumstances. So, you know, I have found that every transition I've made in my life, certainly career-wise, has always come from like, this isn't fucking fair. And I'm pissed about it. And I'm going to do something about it. (laughs) And people aren't agreeing with me. And people think I'm weird, but I'm used to being weird. That doesn't bother me. So here I go. You know, and every stage of my career that has been, and then it just happens, right? But you have got to be brave enough to claim your truth. And so for me, I think one of the reasons that I got into sexuality and because I was intellectually fascinated by it, why? Because my dad, God bless his soul, may he rest in peace, was a sex addict. And I didn't even understand. We didn't understand sex addiction back then. You know, it's only, it, you know, it was way later in his life when he was well past his addictions <laughs> that I even understood what it was because I was very young at the time, but he had tons of affairs. I was way too in the middle of all of them. This was he w- before porn, obviously. Oh, and- way, way yeah. before. I mean, this was in the 80s. And, you know, he would tell me, he told me before he told my mother, then he would be. And so I remember this moment and we talked about it actually before he died because I was his primary caretaker up until the end of, you know, after my mom died. Wow. And as he was dying, we had those really important conversations. And one of them was, I said to him, look, dad, you think that I, because he was a real surrealist and very sexual and talked about sex all the time. So his story was, I became a sex therapist because of his influence. And I said, you know, you think that, and that is true, but not for the reasons you think. Like, I needed to understand how at 18 years old, when I came to you and said, if you continue sleeping with this woman, I will walk out of your life and never come back, that you chose to keep sleeping with that woman. Like, that changed the whole trajectory of my life, led me to make all these toxic decisions with men, led me down such a dysfunctional path And I thank you for it because if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have needed to understand why that, like, how could someone choose that over their own? Like, what is this thing about sex that drives us so deeply to make these insane decisions? That's where it started. And then it got into couples therapy and everything else. All It was all me trying to work out my own childhood, right? And that's how it started. And then I started realizing like, holy shit, in graduate school, there's no training in sex therapy? Like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm getting a clinical couples therapy degree and you're looking at me like I'm a pervert when I'm telling you that clients are bringing up these sexual issues? Like, that's, I'm sorry, but that's fucking crazy to me. And so I got pissed. So I decided to go and talk my way into a fellowship that didn't accept anyone but MDs. I was like, I talked my way in there and I got trained in sex therapy. And, you know, now they have whole sex therapy programs for clinicians, but they didn't have that back then. And then that's how it started. And then I got pissed when Viagra came out that there was this thing for men, but all these women were like, hey, all of a sudden my husband after 30 years wants to have sex and I don't want it. Can I have Viagra? And I look up the research and there's zero Mm -hmm. understanding of the anatomy and physiology of women's sexual response. So I was like, fuck that. Let's figure this out. And then that ended up, as I stepped into that, everybody looking at me like I'm a cuckoo bird. I step into that and all of a sudden there's all of this momentum and Oprah calls and I end up, you know, so... It just like one thing after another, when I say, fuck that, like something's got to change here. And everybody's saying, well, how are you going to make money at that? Well, why are you doing that? I'm like, because it needs to be done. And then the support comes. 
Now, it's interesting that you, you know, during the end of your dad's life, you Mm -hmm. were able to have that conversation. How was that to kind of... Did you feel like there was closure there? I felt like it was probably one of the most beautiful moments of my entire life with him because this man who I, you know, had never apologized for anything in his life, you know, I said to him, not only did you do this to me, and not only do I forgive you, but I thank you. Like, I feel deep gratitude because if it were not for those wounds, I would not have made the shitty decision with my ex-husband that led to my oldest son, who I can't imagine life without. I wouldn't have helped the thousands of people that I've helped. I wouldn't have had the career that I've had. So I'm deeply grateful for the wounds that you gave me. And I know that my soul chose yours for the wounds that you gave me. And so, you know, we are cool. And he looked me in the eye and he could barely talk and he'd never apologized in his life. But he looked me in the eye and he's like, I am deeply, deeply sorry. I'm really, really sorry. And that is a moment that will stay with me for the rest of my life. And he heard me. He really heard me and I completed, which I think is one of the most powerful things you can do. And that's what I always say. I mean, having ushered so many people now through death, you know, both my grandmothers, both my parents, that is the, I always say to people, say everything. It's not even for them. It's for you. Say everything you need to say. It's the most important thing you can do. Yeah. All right, loves, popping in to tell you your exclusive invite to joining me for an exclusive three-day weekend intensive retreat experience with the one and only Sri Sri Ravi Shankar at his Art of Living Center in the incredible oasis of Boone, North Carolina. That is my three-day Rise Up and Fly Forward weekend intensive. Now, during this weekend intensive, I invite you to deep dive into the messy moments and the obstacles and the challenges that didn't go as planned. Because in those three days, we are going to navigate and acknowledge the magical moment of suck, recognizing the contributing elements of your bounce factor and how to process them, how to centralize and regulate your nervous system as well as We will be taking you through different meditations, group discussions, journaling, one-on-one sharing. And this would be your personal retreat with me as your guide to explore and embrace the unexpected magic in the mess and find your joy through the chaos of sometimes life's heavy moments. So you'll be able to learn how to overcome your internal blocks to unlock your full potential, rewire your thought patterns and replace outdated beliefs and behaviors, increase your emotional capacity when dealing with stress, develop your own personal blueprint and framework for bouncing back from life's challenges. And whether you are experiencing a transition, dealing with a loss, or simply looking to make real life changes, you will come out of those three days stepping into your now what and creating your next chapter. So Brave Table fam, use this link to book your three-day experience with me for only $350 at the Boone Center in North Carolina. That is neetabushin.com forward slash events. And that is also linked in the show notes. And now back to the show. You and I have kind of, you know, similar stories around loss. I mean, I've shared both mm-hmm. of my parents during that time. I think, you know, being younger, you're kind mm-hmm. of always wishing that you're like, nope, you know, I'm going to say my prayers and hopefully they don't go. But 
I think to also see them very young, you don't really understand what's going on. Like I was, yeah. you know, 19 when my dad was on his journey of transition. But I, you know, still to this day, I think that the sudden death is the deepest grief. Oh, it's the deepest. I had never experienced that before my son. I think that is on so many levels. I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. If it's your parent, whoever, right? It's it's the absence of, of not being prepared, of being gobsmacked, and also not being able to have that closure is really devastating. Yeah. Can you share bits of that time? With my I'm, son? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I'm very open about it. And I think it's really important. And this is one of the aspects of my freak flag, but like I, you know, I'm an open book. I talk about everything and it's very different, you know, than my husband or even my other sons who don't like as much to talk about it. Or if they do talk about it, there's got to be like an advocacy purpose behind it. But to me, it's very healing to talk about Sammy. And, you know, basically he was 16, a junior in high school, and it was the pandemic and he was sheltering at home and doing remote school. And a drug dealer had connected with him on Snapchat, which I didn't even know at that point was happening, but it is extremely, I mean, it's just constant. They are tracking our kids and contacting them via Snapchat. And he was offered a very colorful menu of drugs, you know, from one Percocet to one Xanax to Coke to whatever, really cheap, like a, you know, a dollar for a Percocet or whatever, and they will deliver it to your house. And so he was bored and, you know, for lots of reasons, bored, isolated, emotionally and socially bullied before being isolated, trying to impress people. He ordered the drugs, which were delivered while we were sleeping. And he thought, I still don't really know what he took. He thought he was taking a Percocet, Xanax, something, but it was pure fentanyl, counterfeit fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid that is, you know, 30 times more powerful than morphine and three times more addictive than heroin. And the drug dealers are putting in absolutely everything because if it doesn't kill you, it makes an amazing customer because you're addicted. So... He took whatever that was. He had asked me that morning. This was Super Bowl Sunday, February 7th, 2021. He had asked me that morning to come into his room. I was running some errands with his little brother. He said, when you're done, come into my room because he was committed to going to NYU. He wanted to go to New York University. He wanted to study international business. He had it all planned out. And he wanted to do an internship for the summer to beef up his college resume. This was his idea. This is the kind of kid he was. And this is all while he's creating a self-sustaining biosphere for his chameleon or whatever. You know, he's like, he was a total renaissance man, not a narcissistic one like my dad, but a very smart one. And, and a lot like my dad in that way. And definitely an explorer like my dad. So he decided to try it. And I, when I went up into his room after doing the errands with his little brother, unfortunately, his little brother was ahead of me and was running into his room to drop off some candy that we had gotten while we were out and just turned or did a 360 and came running out of the room and said, Sammy's on the floor. And I went in there and he was, he was gone. I mean, I didn't, I, I just saw that he wasn't breathing. I screamed for my husband. My husband started doing CPR 
until the paramedics arrived. They worked on him. I don't know. I mean, it's the time is protracted. I just, you know, remember wandering around the house, praying and screaming, and they weren't able to revive him. And he was gone like Mm. that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I just want to honor you because it's been two years. Yeah. Yeah. It has. I mean, it feels like yesterday in some ways, but yeah. Yeah. How do you think Sammy's legacy is is now? Because I do read a lot of stories around fentanyl is is everywhere oh, yeah. and there's reverse drugs to take if you think you've been spiked or, you know, in, in strips and, and all of that. Yeah. What what do you think Sammy's legacy is is today? You know, I think it's still unfolding. I think, you know, his legacy comes through differently, for instance, like with me and his dad and even his brothers, but I'm thinking in particular of his little brother. Um, But like my husband, he's probably single-handedly raised more awareness about fentanyl poisoning and advocacy and the changes in laws and all the things that are wrong in the system. Like there's been so much light shed. I mean, this man is a machine, how he gets up every day and goes and speaks to law enforcement and lobbyists. And I know like he's changing. He's already changed so much through his dad. And with me, I don't like doing that. I will if I must, but I find it like spitting in the wind. It makes me infuriated in an impotent way, like in a way that is just like helpless because the system is so screwed. For me, it's really been about the healing. And about three days after he died, I'll never forget. I was, I don't even know where, I I think I was at the beach where I spent a lot of my time to heal. And I got the question. I just heard it really clearly. Like, do you want to live? Because you have a choice. Not that I was going to kill myself, but that kind of pain absolutely can take you out. And I've seen it take many people out. And even after my mother died, which was my biggest, most horrible loss before this, 10 years prior, she had died of breast cancer. And I grieved, but I was like, I was shooting a television show for the Oprah Winfrey Network. I had a lot of, I spiritualized it. I, whatever, I didn't really feel my pain. And within a year, I had breast cancer in the same breast she had and had to stop my life. And so I remembered that and knew that if I didn't allow myself to fully go into the pain in a way that I really didn't want to do, I was going to die. Like that was a very clear message. And so when I was asked the question, do you want to live? I was shocked that there wasn't like any part of me. Like I was like, yes, I want to live not just for my other children and my husband, but like I suddenly, it's hard to explain, but I was intensely physically and emotionally aware on an entirely new level of what an insane gift life is. Like just the fact that that sperm and that egg came together and survived for nine months and successfully birthed you and you are still, like that is an insane gift that is such a miracle that there's no way I want to squander that. I don't know how I'm going to live. I don't know how I'm going to take the next breath but I know I don't want to squander this gift. And then I was told, well, you need to leave. And so I, I don't know how I had the balls to do this, but I went to my husband, who's our child had just died, you know, five, three or four days before. And I was like, I need to leave. I'm going to go away for a week into the redwoods and scream my grief to the mother tree and be, t- I can't do that at home. You got, you know, it's impossible for you to hold. I, I don't want to leave you, but I can't stay here. And if I don't do this, I'm going to die. 
And he just was like, okay. And he held down the fort and kept our kids together while I went and did the most profound healing of my life at the beautiful 1440 Multiversity in Santa Cruz, who had offered me, because I had done some events there, they reached out and like, we're closed for COVID, but we'll open the campus for you if you need a, you know, to escape. And I took them up on it and they filled the house with healing foods and found a picture on the internet of me and Sammy and framed it next to my bed and like gave me the space to just wander the campus and all my healing friends either came via Zoom or in person and... Mm. I did this amazing week of healing and it really inspired me. I just actually said it out loud to my Grieving Mama Meetup group this weekend that in May of 2024, I am doing my first ever Grieving Mama retreat at 1440 Multiversity. I'm going to start raising the money to bring women who can't pay for it out there and uh, take them through the process I went through because it's so important. I mean, I wish I had that when I was going through that deep, deep grief. and and It's not something you're supposed to do alone. And it's not something we talk about in our culture. And people have no freaking idea what to do with grief. Like if I had not been through so much grief and faced the consequences of not doing grief right before Sammy died, I would be screwed right now in a big way. And that made all the difference. I mean, for sure. I 100% agree with you. And just even, you know, devoting my life to this work, understanding how much emotional suppression we have and what it does to the body. I mean, for you to even have the breast cancer from losing your mom, Mm -hmm. we also had the breast cancer. You know, my mom had breast cancer. Of course, there Mm -hmm. was suppression of emotions between my dad and her. And then that cancer went back into her lungs. My brother had an asthma attack, his lungs. My dad, lung cancer, his lungs, which is, we both know, grief. our listeners you know, may or may not know, but it is grief. That's heavy mm-hmm. grief. So mm-hmm. what did your grief process look back then? And what is your grief process? Because I've seen, you know, I, <laughs> I, I love... And I know we talked a little bit about it on your podcast too, but I love your Instagram videos. And I love how, how just wild and free uh, as you are in your grief practice, in your rage practice, and even having a room, you know, committed to that. So can you share this? Because I know that it's so powerful for so many who may not even know what we're talking about. It goes beyond just talk therapy and you're, you know, you're a therapist. Yeah. I mean, my kids always call me a talking doctor because I'm a talk (laughs) therapist, but I'm a talking doctor who actually does a lot less talking now. You know, it's a daily practice. And I didn't mean to be so public. I don't know why I did it the first time on social media that I did. I just felt called to. I didn't even know why I was doing it. I I just don't question things when I get called to do them. You know, I just do them and sometimes regret them later, but rarely. And what really moved me was how many people were like, oh, okay, that's how you do that. Okay. And I was like, all right, people have no idea how to do this. So I'm just going to be, this was one of those moments where I was like, fuck this. How can this be that people, you know, this is wrong that people don't know how to, because there isn't a human on the planet that is not grieving right now after COVID, you know? And so, yeah. I'm going to be out loud and proud and show you all the messy, snotty, crazy ways to release pain. And so for the first year after he died, I would force myself because some days I would wake up and feel fine. I was like, I don't want to 
freaking go there. Like, but I knew if I didn't, then it would bubble up, you know, somewhere else. It's like a pressure cooker. So I learned really, really quickly, really during that week in the Redwoods. I mean, I always practice and played with somatic experiencing before that, but and with that degree of pain, I so didn't want to go there. But when I did, and this was the big lesson, not only did it not carry me away, right? It only lasted about 15 minutes, but the pressure valve had released a little bit, you know, and that pressure cooker, the steam had released and I was calmer and clearer and lighter and, and better for having done it. And it, and so for the first year, that was my maintenance. Even days I didn't want to do it, I would just go into my special little room in the back of the house. I would warn my husband and he knew by then that there would be weird sounds and not to worry about me. <laughs> and I would just do a body scan. I would ground myself, do a body scan, and then just put all of my conscious awareness, wherever the tension or tightness was, move myself out of the way and just let my body do whatever it needed to do. And that became the practice. And then after a year, I was like, okay, I can slow down with this a little bit. And now I know if I'm in a really snarky mood or I'm having trouble getting out of bed or I'm feeling really stuck or I'm feeling really anxious, I'm like, oh, time to go. There's something that needs to move and I move it. So that's just become part of my emotional hygiene. Mm. And I love that you say emotional hygiene because, you know, uh, as a former dentist in me, it's like, all right, (laughs) Right. (laughs) the flossing, flossing. the six month checkups, you know, all of that. And what about, you know, our full spectrum of our emotionality? And so what does, you know, I see your newest book in the background. What does quantum love mean today. I love quantum love. And maybe what is... How does Sammy speak to you? Because I'm guessing quantum love is also about you as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, and quantum love has always been about me. But I'm so grateful. I'm so... I mean, as with all things, and anyone who's lived long enough starts to realize that everything in their life has been preparing them for everything else. Even those... You know, you being a dentist prepared you for what you're doing now in a million different ways, right? Even though it's a total different world than the world you lived in, right? And so I had no idea when I was living from and writing and adoring Quantum Love, which by far is my favorite of the nine books I've written so far. Nine books. Nine Nine. books, yeah. (laughs) Let me just say that, nine. (laughs) Actually, 10 with my latest ebook, but that was the last like regular book I wrote so far. I love it. Thank God I understood this. And the first foremost principle of quantum love, you know, because it's based in quantum physics, is that we're all made of pure vibrating atoms, energy. We are pure energy, even though we seem solid and separate from each other. We're all part of the same energetic soup. And energy cannot be destroyed. It can't. It can only change form. And our souls are our pure essence. They are enervate this energetic body that we get to live in for as long as we get to be here this lifetime, right? But that energy never dies. It just changes form. And so when our temple or our bio body suit goes, our energy does not. And so had I not understood that, on the most fundamental levels and written a whole book about how to apply this as a Jedi mind trick to your love life, which is essentially what quantum love is, I would have not 
really understood this on the level that I was. So I knew very quickly, I didn't, I, you know, I had to grieve the loss of this boy, his body, his sweet little chunky man hands, his smell, his smile, his, you know, all of that. Like I'm still miss, I'm still grieve that, but I feel him and I'm connected to his energy and I hear from him and I get signs all the time. And I, and missing him, and I ask him to choose the next song on whatever random Spotify mix I'm listening to, and the perfect song comes on that says, well, you know, you may not know I'm here, but I'm right here, like something like that, you know? So he's constantly, the lights in, in my bed, only in my bedside table, because my husband doesn't really, you know, I call him senior root chakra, because he's very <laughs> pragmatic. But my lights will start blinking like crazy. I'm like, cut the shit, Sammy. You know, I'm trying to read. You're like, we have these whole conversations like he's still here I know he's a million places but he's also here yeah and and in a beautiful way and guides me a lot and communicates in all sorts of beautiful ways Mm. how has that transformed the way you work today well what's interesting is that I'm a lot less interested in sex not I mean I'm interested in sex with with my husband I like sex for myself (laughs) And I can talk about sex all day long, but I'm much more interested these days in, in going deeper. And, you know, I don't need to tell, I could tell you the perfect way to give a blow job, but like, eh, been there, done that, you know, you've, go you've and watch about, my videos. You've written about 10 books. Yeah. You could, you, I, I, you I don't need to do that. Yeah. yeah. I don't need to do that anymore. I'm more interested in helping you have quantum sex. Mm. Right. I'm more interested in helping you connect to your soul and your magic. I'm more interested in helping you heal through connecting to your body, which by the way, makes sex a hundred times better. I am more interested in helping you learn how to grieve in a way that's going to open your heart to all the love that's available to you. I'm more interested in helping you understand that the worst you permit yourself to feel in a healthy way, I'm not saying you live there that when you really allow yourself to feel the full breadth of your pain, that is a direct relationship to how high and high frequency you can feel, right? The deeper you allow yourself to go, the higher you can go. Like I'm really interested in helping people understand how that works, how that technology works, how to move through healing in service to themselves and their relationships, but also in service to the world because we need more healed people in the world right now. Uh, We really do for our own sakes, but also for the collective. Because like I said, we're all part of the same energetic soup. So I know that as I heal myself, I am healing myself in service to the energy that we're all part of. Mm. So I'm helping everyone else when I help myself. And how beautiful is it? And you are the perfect person to take us through the full emotionality of what we can feel given that you've yeah. been in the sex world and you've reached you know that that pinnacle and even more created an amazing empire being known as the sex therapist across all platforms but then having such a tremendous loss and grief and really taking you through the full dimension of really honoring the sweetness yeah. and the duality of the grief and you know the magic all 
kind of living all at the same time. And I just think the way that you move and the way that you speak is so profound. And I feel like this has always been your work yeah. and, and your masterpiece just keeps adding on. So what a gift. You are you. such a gift. And I know that you even have a quiz for us to take if we want to know about basically how we want to feel in love. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes down to with all things that we want, which we don't realize. So anything you're trying to manifest in your life, whether it's love, relationships, work, it's really starts with how you want to feel. And I feel like in love, people really, I'm really interested. I love helping people manifest because I'm a good, I love manifesting. And in fact, I have a manifestation Mondays club. You can join the first Monday of every month. We have a meeting and we teach you something. And then I bring one of you on the love seat and we work one-on-one. And then halfway through the month, we meet for office hours if you have any questions on your homework for the month. So it's a really beautiful community. But I also, the quiz you're referring to is the what do you really want out of love? Because when people are looking for love, which I coach people around all the time, finding love, you know, I want someone if they're, they, you know, they may not say tall, dark, and handsome, but they'll say kind, loyal, driven, whatever. But those aren't the right words either. It's when you are with that ideal person, how do you really feel? Because that's the place from which man cultivating that feeling inside yourself then makes you a frequency match for that which you're desiring. And then that's what calls it in. And so this little quiz is on the homepage of my website. Is it just does a magical job of helping you get really, really clear on how you most want to feel in love and, we'll, and cultivating we'll, that. And, it, and it's so it's so powerful. And even your book, Quantum Love, is freaking amazing. It's such a game changer. And I mean, it's what we wish that like these, you know, Indian matchmaker and Jewish matchmaker. I don't know if you've seen those <laughs> on Netflix, yeah. but that's what's missing is someone they like you. Use a little quantum love, yeah, Laura. They, they're Maybe missing I'll you. Maybe I'll make a drop in. <laughs> How do you want to feel? <laughs> Exactly. Well, <laughs> Not sure. Nudge the matchmaker out of the way. Listen, oh, honey. <laughs> you know, right? This has been such an incredible conversation. And before we get into our igniting round to close, where can we find you and get the quiz and get mm-hmm. all of your resources and get the Monday Manifestation Club? Yeah, it's all there on the homepage of drlauraberman.com. The quiz, I think, is right on the top of the homepage. You'll see in the little carousel, Manifestation Monday, and my Seven Days to Better Sex class, and all kinds of stuff, and my books. And then there's my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Laura Berman Official. There's social media, which is all at Dr. Laura Berman. So there's lots of ways to find me. Amazing. So I ask everyone this, what does it mean to be brave in this season and stage of life? Just authentic. Like I said, let your freak flag fly. Honor honor your true needs and your true expression. Mm. And what word describes the season of life? Expansion. Wow. This has been a beautiful, authentic, unraveling vulnerable conversation, Dr. Laura. I felt like we've had this closeness even from before. And me uh, too. you've just unlocked another level for me. Thank you so much for pouring into our community and even raising awareness. Hopefully we can share some info around fentanyl poisoning as well. Yeah, I think definitely. I think the more people that huge. know, it's epidemic, 300 people a day dying. I mean, it's. I'm so sorry that has happened to you, but I feel like we've channeled Sammy's energy here in this conversation too. So he's definitely here. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Until next time on The Brave Table. All right. We are back on the other side. Connect with Dr. Laura here. You can follow her on Instagram at Dr. Laura Berman and follow her on YouTube at Dr. Laura Berman Official. That's Dr. Laura Berman, B-E-R-M-A-N Official. Check out her website for her free resources at drlauraberman.com. She has a link to her 7 Days to Better Sex program. And I highly, highly, highly recommend. You can also join her on her Manifestation Mondays Club. It's also linked in the show notes. And listen to our episode together at the Language of Love podcast. Now, if you love this episode, you are going to love Her Bestie, episode 160, Awakening to the Divine and Manifesting a Fulfilling Life Through Contrast with Colette Baron-Reed. Episode 127, Stepping into Your Purpose After Loss or Grief with Myself. And Episode 65, Transforming Loss, Cancer, and Big Trauma to Fuel for Kindness with Mike Kim. Now, loves, if this episode inspired you in any way, I would love for you to share this with a colleague, family member, somebody that could be just a little bit more brave in their outlook on life. And... Don't forget to follow us and tell us what you thought at The Brave Table on Instagram. And of course, if you haven't already, we would so love, love, love your five-star reviews. If you do, we will go ahead and send you a free gift when you screenshot your review to support at globalgrit.co. That is support at globalgrit.co. I will see you next time. 